Welcome to Stories That Stick, a podcast series about the stories that shape us. It's really, to me, though, it's about how we narrativize our relationships, how we self-mythologize and the ways, especially in your 20s, you're kind of making yourselves and making each other up. Hey, everyone, it's Ade here, your host for Stories That Stick podcast. In today's episode, we have Amber Medland, the author of Wild Pet, which is a story that follows three graduates entering the real world in a time of Trump and Me Too. And it's a great read. Trust me. Now, as per usual, we have our guest, in this case Amber, share her career journey to date whilst regaling some of the stories that made a big impact on her life. And if you're brand new to this podcast, please know that we start all our conversations talking about death because we believe it informs how we live. And after all, this podcast is a brief snapshot of our guest's life. That being said, though, if you are triggered by death as a topic, then please do skip ahead approximately three and a half minutes or when you hear the page turn and sound effects. One more thing. Please do share this episode to those who might enjoy it and or subscribe to the podcast because it really does help us grow. Now, without further ado, here's Amber Medland. Hey, Amber, first and foremost, welcome to Stories That Stick. Thank you. Now, off the mic, you've mentioned you actually have listened to a couple of episodes, so I'm really glad of that. Therefore, the very first question that I get out the gate is surrounding the topic of death. How do you feel about death? I love this question, and it made me laugh a lot when I saw it, because, um, so I, a lot, I I think about death a lot, um, which now is a good thing but when I was a kid it's a real problem because if you don't have that much control over your daily life and you're intensely aware that you are going to die within a finite time then it's just like why should I spend five hours in this classroom if I may die tomorrow like it's not a helpful way of thinking but as an adult it's actually really good because if you're aware of it you work harder for starters and you're much more aware of moments for joy um, my boyfriend says it's invigorating to be around, so that's reassuring. <laughs> <laughs> so does it sort of inform how you live and go about living? Yeah. So I'm very structured about my time, partly because I have ADHD and I like have to be to get stuff done. But I have a lot of lists. I have a lot of... I wish I could be more spontaneous, but I'm just not as a person. Like I have things that I want to achieve pretty much every day, and that is linked to the mortality no. awareness but it's so when you no go on apologies sorry no no. no 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 this is a conversation <laughs> so forgive me if I interject but also tell me to shut up like Ade, I haven't finished my sentence so no I, please continue I'm not great at finishing sentences is that it's not <laughs> it is it is generally a positive thing because it's not something I'm scared about like it's not an oppressive thing it's just a very much sees the moment drive. Carpe diem kind exactly, of Exactly, yeah. The reason I ask this usually though, and again, it isn't a morbid question, not intentionally anyway. It's often because this is a sort of podcast that gives a snapshot of my guest's life. And so I'm often asking and prompting, do you want a legacy? Do you want to be known? And if the answer is yes, what would you like people to know about you? That's interesting because obviously legacy and thinking about death I guess, should be connected, but it's not really, I never really think of it like that. 
Mm. I think that I like the idea of distilling an experience that is very much bound up with your like present moment. Equally, if I knew that in however many years World Pets was had been a really great thing but was no longer around, that doesn't bother me as a thought. Um, the thing that always freaks me out most is the idea that if, if just before you die, you're just like, ah, oh, fuck. Sorry, can I swear? I don't. Yeah, um, but like that, that, that thing terrifies me more than anything, um, which I think it would for most people if they thought about it. Like it's a, it's a scary yeah. notion. Well, let's then figure out all the things that you have done and you're not regretful of, hopefully. Or if you are, you know what, it's still good content. <laughs> so how I normally start is usually we go through the chapters of your life, but let's go through the first chapter, which is the first decade, Mm -hmm. which is zero to ten. So, Amber, you've got to tell us who were you as a young girl? Where were you? Where did you like grow up? Give me like your family background. And yeah, we'll take it from there. Just give us a little bit about it. Zero to ten. I have yeah. comically few memories outside books and food of, of these years. But the, basic, <laughs> the basics would be um, that I grew up, so I was born in London, but I grew up in Kent. Um, oh, okay. My mother is Indian and my dad is British, um, but my mother left India like late teens. So my grandparents were and my family is there. Um, oh, right. And we went, I went like every summer growing up. Um, I read a lot. Like I really, that was when yeah. when you were talking about was, childhood books. I was just like, oh, so many books. Yeah, I'm often curious to know when people say they read a lot. What does that really entail? Because how do we measure or qualify a standard of yeah. a lot? So what does that look like for you when you said that? I think it's for me that when I started thinking about it, because my other memories are not very well defined, it's the fact of having like multiple books that I remember properly and I remember how I felt when I read them so that feels Mm. like a kind of a measure of time um yeah Yeah, feeling definitely does give us that you know time stamp for lack of a better term yeah yeah completely completely but so you're mixed you've got dual heritage yes have you come across and I don't mean to put you on the spot um but you're on a platform called Black Articulate but have you have you ever been told you're white passing yeah, I, I, I've had pretty much every possible response you can imagine to. So first of all, my skin changes colour quite a lot in the sun. And there's a there's a funny <laughs> thing where I get mistaken from being from a lot of different places, which right, yeah. can be quite strange. But because of that, yeah, I think people have a lot of different perceptions. And I definitely, I, I definitely am also white passing. So, But how did you navigate that space? Were you ever othered, especially in this decade? I, I was talking to, about my I was talking to my best friend about this and we've been best friends since we were 11 and she was at school with me and I was saying that I don't remember having I got bullied at school but my school was a mean place so a lot of people got bullied and I was saying that I didn't remember like there being any specific experiences to do with that and she looked at me kind of incredulously and reminded me that there was one boy who called me a packy a fair amount but he also said so many other horrible things that in my mind as a teenager, I was just like, I, it didn't, it didn't hurt me. It wasn't pleasant, but it didn't. Yeah. yeah. 
it didn't stick as such, <clears throat> which is yeah. absolutely fine. But we mm. are still in this decade. So I'm hearing that you're in Kent. Yes. You know, it's been blissful. You are reading a lot. And <clears throat> we definitely will get into the books in which you've submitted. But I still want to just make sure I'm not leaving any stone unturned as such. Yeah. So I'm picturing you with your dad and mum in Kent. Brothers, uh, sisters. So, and... yeah, my parents split when I was two. Um, ah, so there's that. No, that was <clears throat> fine. I guess, but I guess seminal things that happened before you were ten. That was a that was a big one. Um, and he remarried, and it was all just typical divorce stuff. That was, I guess, that was probably quite a big part of my childhood. I don't know anyone with good divorce stories. It's just... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I do either. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> okay, let's. Let's see if we can get into your book quite quickly. So we are still in the first decade, mm-hmm. right? And fond memories. Any fond memories during this decade, though? Zero to ten or yeah. ten to... Yeah, zero to ten. One of your fondest memories. If you look back, if I was to even think, think of a picture that you have in mind during this decade, what was going on? What was... I didn't have any. There was a willow tree in... Um our old garden that was a kind of willow tree where when you sit underneath it all the like green fronds come down around you so you're like in a kind of completely enclosed but light filled space and I spent a lot of time there so it's it's things like that that sounds kind of enchanted it was were you just thinking about worlds or whilst there honestly I was probably reading um or like I liked I had a lot of imaginary games by myself I like to try and find bird's nests. I was kind of a weird kid now I think about it, but yeah. No, far from, far from. But speaking of reading, and for mm. those of you guys who come into this podcast brand new, what I tend to do with all my guests is I get them to answer a very brief questionnaire. It's literally three questions where I ask them about the funnest stories they heard, read, or watched as a child, a teenager, or an adult. And... Amber, for a child, do you remember what you submitted? I went with the Wolves of Willoughby Chase. I had a massive list and I decided to to go for that one. (laughs) I can imagine if you were continuously reading. So why did you go for the Wolves of Willoughby Chase? What was it about this story? And for those of us who haven't heard a story, do you mind giving us a synopsis and overview and why it made an impact on your life in this decade? So it's by Joan Aiken and it's about two little girls called Sylvia and Bonnie and Sylvia is an orphan, Bonnie is not and Sylvia is very like shy and meek and Bonnie is very boisterous and also like comes from a really rich family and has she just has everything and Sylvia goes to live with them after that it's just kind of an adventure they, the, the governess stages a thing where she makes it seem as if Bonnie's parents have been killed at sea and so they're both orphans and then they go on the run together and it's just it's it's a lot of adventure nah, amazing and why did it have an impact on you? do you know if you're looking at it with adult eyes yeah I mean it's one of the ones that I find myself rereading whenever I'm home which is one of the reasons I chose it it's just intensely comforting okay. I think female friendships I love I love those friendships. Um and so I think maybe they were an early an early prototype for that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I absolutely love that. And you're right, you know, women friendships, you'd barely see that as, you know, main characters, right? 
in, mm. uh, in books, mm. unfortunately. Patriarchy. But we won't get into that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like us to go into our next chapter, which is 10 to 20. Talk about a decade, you know, know. of a life-transforming decade because you are going from prepubescent to puberty through the education system and technically you're meant to become a full-fledged adult who has everything together. Mm. Was that the case for you, Amber? (laughs) Talk to us about this decade. Where were you? Were you still in Kent? What was secondary school like for you? It's crazy as a decade. It's just the most compressed just a lot happens and I'm in puberty but also just general um so yeah I went to a school that was like 10 minutes walk from my house and I had like there were something the kind of English teachers that shape your life I had I had two of those oh amazing so you you're gravitating to English as a subject from the jump was it very much so I think it was the only class I never scoped essentially because everything just made sense there um, and we also, I had both teachers, Mrs. Henshaw and Mr. McAlpine. Um, they treated like everyone, like adults with things that were interesting to say in a school that was quite concerned about appearances and just, it was a weird place. But in those rooms, it really was all about the books and about the individuals there, which was just very refreshing. Nice. So, nice. I and I, that. yeah, and I met my longest friend, like the first day of school. And we're still, like she lives around the corner, in fact, and we're just still very very close to the yeah Uh, things. were you thinking career profession at this stage was there any I don't know pressures from family to become something were you becoming Mm. I'm throwing a lot of things um and I don't really want to anchor I'd rather you just go off on one but okay I can do I can do that you can do that (laughs) okay yeah no it's I'm I'm just I wish I had like a massive mental whiteboard because there is it is yeah it is so much happens in that time so I've always 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 wanted to be a writer I used to drive my mother crazy because people would be like what do you want to be but at like careers situation but I'm going to be a writer like that was always my I've always been (laughs) sure of that um I wrote two when I say novels they were not novels but I, I I was writing things that were meant to be novels in that time one was called Trapped in the Net, which I think we can be glad I've not tried to publish that one. Um, and the other was called Grey Quicksand. But they were, when I was writing them, the thing of being completely absorbed and focused and losing track of time. And that was when I started experiencing that feeling, which once you felt it, you never, ever want to stop. Yeah, exactly. So that was, yeah, definitely a highlight of that period. That being said. I, I guess India, India is the other, I'm trying to thinking of this, like writing... And then India is probably the other big, was like the my mo- my strongest memories are, I think possibly because, because we went for a few weeks every year and everything was suddenly just brighter and louder and more. I, yeah, I remember those visits. Very... Well, speak on it. I mean, speak more on it. So you go to India like on your holidays frequently, like every year at least? Or... We went to see my grandparents um for the whole of my teenage years and I just I just I I I loved it and I found it incredibly relaxing in a way I haven't been back now for quite a few years which is sad um Mm. but I just I was never ever bored there that's my main yeah that's the main thing I remember it because I just 
always looking at things and I can't speak Hindi which is annoying and I want to learn one day but I think probably partly because of that I was always just watching everything and kind of soaking things in um so I am getting a picture though and I think we got a picture from almost from the jump that you very (laughs) much all about the books and it was a given that you were going to become an author well it's not a given with anything in life but what you could do and what you could do very well was right is that correct in saying like throughout your education system you were excelling within English subjects yes and then you just thought to yourself why not continue that so let me actually then go to oh sorry go on yeah no no I'm not that's yes you're right that's it yeah so that's then you're thinking what subjects were you thinking to do university because you went to is it Oxford no Cambridge Cambridge, apologies yeah Cambridge and then Columbia afterwards Mm. so shall we get into that but before we do and again as with always all my guests I would like to talk about the second book in which you submitted that made a huge impact within this decade do you recall what it was Yes, I can. What, yeah, the, yeah. No, wait, you say, you say. Wide Sagasso Sea by John Rees. Am I Jean, saying that Jean, name right? Jean Rees. Jean Jean Rees. Okay, I have no idea about this book, so please tell me about it and why that made an impact in your in your life during this decade. So in Jane Eyre, there is a mad woman in the attic who's kind of mentioned in passing, called Bertha Rochester. And the reason it caught me is because I'd read Jane Eyre and I hated, but was also fascinated by the fact that I hadn't noticed that question, that thought about it. And I was also like, we read this in class. Someone, someone at some point should have, <laughs> it should have come up as a, as a theme and it did not. Um, but anyway, this White Tech see is the story of Bertha Rochester and how she comes to be in the attic. But so like it's, when we meet her, she's Antoinette Cosway. And Jean Reeves was very much drawing on her her experience of her childhood. But so like it starts, Jean Reeves lived in Domenico when she was a child and then left at 16. And White Sea starts in Jamaica. And you kind of see this woman through her life. Nah, amazing and that made an impact on you because because I think they should be taught alongside each other because it gives a whole different context that doesn't like diminish Jane Eyre as a book like if anything it makes Jane Eyre more interesting but it's also this borderline mystical feeling where for me it's like as soon as Jane Eyre was written like this existed somewhere because the story was already there and the idea mm. it is such it is such a good book did she influence your style in writing? Like, does do you get influenced by other authors and the way they write and their style? Very much. Um, you do definitely. I think that's I think probably like underlying the constant reading is that. Um, but Jean Rees is probably one of my earliest influences. Her style is incredibly clear and strange, but it's also someone. Someone said that all of her stories start with a woman sitting in a hotel room waiting for a man to give her money to either like buy a dress or buy a drink which sounds (laughs) sounds so desolate and is quite desolate but she there are you know there are all these stories where it is you know like judgmental landladies and quite dreadful men and like sipping perno at Parisian street cafes and they are all brilliant and they sound like they should get samey and they don't they're Mm. just very zoomed in on very particular experiences and I guess that yeah that influenced me I love that I love that 
Well, let's go into your final chapter. Not your final chapter, quote unquote, because that's just final ridiculous. Chapter, yeah. Yeah, like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, but uh, in the way stories that stick up, right? <laughs> 20 plus. So we are finding you at the tail end of university, mm. starting to really, well, hopefully understand yourself as a fierce woman um, <laughs> who's about to really shake the literary world. Um, unless I'm mistaken, but this is where you need to tell me what was going on from 20 plus and how do we find you to basically write in Wild Pets? I'm really is hoping I'll feel of... like that in like 10 years. I'm hoping I'll be like, yes, that is me. I don't feel that <laughs> yeah. way yet, but I like that description is very kind. Thank you. Let's go with, I think, well, first and foremost, you studied in Cambridge, right? Mm-hmm. What was your degree in, by the way? Forget. English, just English literature. Just English literature. Okay, got you. Because it's such a, I hate it when people would say, oh, you went to Oxford or Cambridge, and they don't even care to know what you studied there. <laughs> like, that in it's, of itself is... It's no, a very awkward, like, it's just, no, but you're completely right, and it's also... It just feels like a really weird non sequitur and like an oddly charged non sequitur sometimes. And it's just, it's awkward. Um, so yes, <laughs> English, um, yeah. more interesting part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And during this time, were you, what were you writing? What were you thinking to do with it? Were you thinking to be an author? Were you thinking maybe teaching or what can you I guess it's the question is almost what can't you do with English as a degree from Cambridge? But what were you thinking to do professionally? Well, this I've definitely Googled, like, what can you do to make money with an English degree so many times? And there is, you know, <laughs> there is a list of infinite things. But I, I was always very much like, I will find a way to make money and I will do whatever I need to do. But I think I kind of had a lack of plan. And like, I ended up teaching at Columbia. Wait, no, jumping backwards. Sorry. Um, I was very so I wrote a short story collection at Cambridge which was like it's just the basic thing of practicing and getting better they're not good short stories but they got me further along um yeah but how did Fables come into play how does one get an agent how does one get their book published you know there's so many bits in your journey and I'm sure it hasn't been easy in the slightest no um so where do you want to take it from so I think I went I went to Columbia with very much the idea that like this would be it sold to be careful. So in so I think now especially I know that doing the MFA was very good for me. I was very confused when I got there because the way Americans talk about university is very different to the way here and I had sort of fallen for what is essentially advertising and I had in my head I was like I will do this course and then I will get an agent and then I will get published and that will be very clear steps, which I think is part of what the MFA uh, promised. Yeah. And I, you know, I really should have thought like, oh, like obviously that's not how it works because otherwise like the numbers don't make sense of that. Um, yeah. Did you do this immediately after you you graduated from Cambridge? So or I did an MPhil after, yeah, I did an MPhil for a year at Cambridge on American literature in all honesty, partly because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I got funding. So I was just like, I love, you know, I love this work. I didn't think I wanted to be an academic, though, because I just didn't. 
but it kind of made sense at the time. Yeah, it did seem so much like the logical next step that I felt like I'd be missing out. Obviously, I had to go. (laughs) (laughs) And off you went. And then not the rest is history because we still don't know the bridge. So from Colombia, how you find... Yes. Okay. I can do a truncated bridge. I can do a... No, I'll do it. I'll do a truncated bridge. So I was then... I did a thing where you can teach... If you get a job teaching undergraduates, then they give you two years of MFA fees. They pay for two years of MFA and you get a stipend. And that Mm. made everything much better for me because I felt like, well, money, first of all. And also I had a purpose. So that was good. Then I graduated. Then I came back. And I I think, yeah, I I got my PA job. I was writing all the time. And I, I, you know, I was still sending out short stories and all the things that everyone does. And I was when still you say good. when you say send them them out, so if it's an interjection, I yeah, I'm the interjecting. Then no, when you was... say sending it out, sending it to who? Like, so what's the strategy here? Well, so the strategy theory, <laughs> what I had always been told is that what happens is you get you get something published, and then someone notices it, and then you approach an agent and say, "I've got the short story published." Mm. Unfortunately, I did not get any short stories published. So oh. there's a website called Submittable where you like you submit things to. I also my strategy was crap. I was entering all these competitions that have like massive prizes, but also like that's just not a smart way of going about it. But I I wanted to feel like I was achieving things, so I just kept entering, and they all have entrance fees, and it's yeah, it's just not a smart way of doing it. Um, right. And then the culmination of all of this is that at the end of I want to say 2017, I was at a party and it was like an after party at this point. And someone started talking about Stendhal and the salt mines of Salzburg. And it was very late. And I just had one of those moments where I was mesmerized by what she was saying. Stendhal had this metaphor in a book called On Love, where it's about a projection of ideals around a loved one. And there's, if you throw a twig into the salt mines of Salzburg, all these uh, like crystals cluster around it and the twig is transformed. And then over time, all those crystals fall away. But so from then, that's when I then started writing Wild Pets because I think I'd been basically like mentally getting ready to be writing. And then that was just the spark that made everything. I, yeah, from then on, I was just going. I want us to then speak about the book, if that's okay, because at the end of the day, this is a kind of press run for you. And it'll be remiss of us not to talk about the book, right? Sure, yeah. Do you want to give us an overview on it? And we'll take it from there. Okay, cool. I can give you my my paragraph. I can give you my... Ooh, okay. Have yeah. you written a paragraph, have you? <laughs> oh, it's possible. You. I, can pretend, <laughs> I can pretend I'm just... Yeah, no, I have. <laughs> All right. The floor is yours. <laughs> but we'll pretend like, you know, you just said it off the top <laughs> of your head. <laughs> it is. It's deeply embedded in my head at this point. So, like, it, yeah, I should, yeah. Um, so um, it's about a group of 20-somethings moving between London and New York, trying to reconcile their ambition and their need to love and be loved. So there's Iris, who goes to New York to write, Ezra, whose band has started making waves, and Nance, who's studying and has started hooking up with an older academic. Um, they're dealing with various mental health problems and the fallout from the ways in which they all self-medicate. The story also unfolds during the Me Too movement and against the backdrop of Trump's administration. So you've got this group of characters really questioning their political ideologies and ideas around agency and consent. It's really, to me, though, it's about how we narrativize our relationships, 
how we self-mythologize and the ways, especially in your 20s, you're kind of making yourselves and making each other up all the time. Mm. And that is Wild Pets, for sure. The book is available when? July 1st. Amber, I often leave with this one question. If there's any one book, apart from the ones you've already mentioned, what book would you gift to loved ones, like friends and loved ones, and why? Okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So there's uh, The Writing Life by Annie Dillard, which if you want to be writing an aunt, it's just the best, like, creative shock ever. It's it's very good. Um, Repeat that, The Writing... The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. It's just, it's so good. Um, And also any of the Olive books by Elizabeth Strout. She has a thing where characters from some novels have cameos in others. It's just a whole, their whole world's her books. So that would be my other one, yeah. Amazing. And I tell you what's refreshing, and I don't know whether I'm mistaken in saying this, but all the books you've mentioned, they're written by female authors, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know when that happened. It wasn't a deliberate... It's not a deliberate thing. I was looking at my bookshelves and I do, I do read men, but I, I do read mainly women. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm also just trying to build up my own canon, which we weren't taught, you know, and I just, I like getting a sense of where everyone is in relation to each other as well. No, I love that. I can actually even picture that. Well, Amber, thank you very much for your time. And so how, and it depends, would you like to be found on the World Wide Web? And if yes, what would you like us to do when we do find you? So I guess the question is, where can we find you if you'd like to be found? And what would you like us to do? I'm on Instagram, just Amber, at Amber Medland. Um, I'm, I am also on Twitter, although I, I do that less. I don't know. I re- read the book. If you want to chat about Nella Larson or Jean Rees, by all means, message me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you very much for your time. And guys, as always, do stay tuned for another episode of Stories That Stick. See you later. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it. And if you'd like to be featured on the podcast, please do get in touch.